Let's just pray together before we look at God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering around your word. Your word which is a living word. Your word which is sharper than a two-edged sword. Which can pierce us to the quick. And we pray that as we gather around your word today that we might know of your presence, that you would give us understanding through your Holy Spirit. And I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Now, if you do have your Bible there, please do turn back to Matthew chapter 17 as we look at this passage today. Now, I'm generally not a person who is into fine art. I wonder if you're a person uh, who is into fine art. I know some people are. Uh, They will go to to art galleries. They will gaze uh, at pictures uh, for hours upon hours. Uh, They will find uh, art just, just wonderful. I really couldn't tell the difference between a Picasso and a constable or any other painter that you really care uh, to name. But maybe art is your your thing. Even if you know something about art or nothing about art, you may at one time or another have seen this painting by Raphael. And it's called The Transfiguration. Now, at the top of the painting, you see the transfiguration that we looked at uh, last week in God's Word. And you see Jesus uh, dazzling uh, white, uh, dazzling bright, uh, with the disciples uh, prostrate uh, on the ground. Hopefully you can see that uh, just at the top uh, of the painting uh, there. And remember that we thought last week about how this was a display of the glory of Jesus. That just for a moment it was as though the veil had been pulled back as Jesus is transfigured and changed, as Moses and Elijah appear appear alongside Jesus confirming who Jesus is, and as the voice of God comes from heaven, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him, confirming Jesus as his son, urging the disciples to listen to him. Now, this is a high point in the gospel. It's a high point where, where Jesus' glory is revealed. It's a, it's a high point, a time when the coming kingdom is just for a moment made visible. And no wonder that the disciples to some extent, wanted this experience to be prolonged. Remember what Peter said? He said, Gee, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And let's make shelters for yourself and for Moses and for uh, Elijah. Let's, let's prolong this experience. So at the top of this painting, we see the transfiguration being depicted. Now, what is striking is what's happening at the bottom of the picture. Because at the bottom of the picture, what we have is the depiction of our reading today. 
Because in this part of the picture we see the demon-possessed boy, who's just uh, towards the kind of right uh, of the, the picture there, uh, and he's with the, the family. Uh, there are some disciples uh, there uh, as well. And so it's really striking, this picture, because there is a contrast, isn't there? The glory of the transfiguration at the top, where there's a, a glimpse of the coming kingdom, and then what's happening below and the current situation on the earth. And obviously we're going to be focusing, really, on what happens in the bottom part of the picture today. You see, the whole point of the gospel is to to get across the message that Jesus has come. And we've been looking over these last number of weeks as to the identity of Jesus, that Jesus truly is the Son of God, that he truly is the Messiah. And in the transfiguration, we saw him in his glory. But the whole reason that he has come into the world is because of the brokenness and the darkness found in the world, as depicted in the bottom picture, the bottom of the picture, and as is depicted in our reading today. And so what we need to see in this picture and in Scripture is the tremendous contrast between the the glory that is above and the shame and the confusion that is down below. There's a real contrast, isn't there? between what Jesus is bringing in, the coming kingdom, but what the present reality is. Now, before we get into the the details of our passage today, it is perhaps uh, worth, first of all, saying just a little bit about demon possession. We, We thought a wee bit last week about, you know, name a difficult book of the Bible, Leviticus, Ezekiel, Revelation. I said, you would never name a gospel, would you? You'd never name uh, Matthew's gospel. And we thought about how the transfiguration was quite difficult for us to understand. But also a passage like today's passage is difficult for us to understand because it's about demon possession. And you think, goodness, that's beyond my, you know, beyond my brain. I've never experienced this before. What's this on about? What's this passage? It's a difficult topic. Not easy for us to understand or to think through. And it probably isn't something that most of us here today have much experience in. And that's why it's worth thinking about before we get into the details of the passage here this morning. Now, the first thing to say is this. Sometimes we have it in our mind that in the New Testament and in the Bible as a whole, that the people were not as advanced as we are and that they would describe all physical illnesses, all abnormalities to the presence and operations of evil spirits. But because they weren't very medically advanced, that they just said, oh, it's, it's, it's a demon, or whatever it might be. But this clearly isn't true. Because even in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, Matthew distinguishes between those who are demon-possessed and those who are epileptics. And the Gospel writers clearly distinguish between diseases caused by demons 
and those not so. And so they didn't just uh, assign every illness to being possessed by a demon. Now secondly here, it's also not true that demon possession is simply another name for insanity. Sometimes that's a kind of common misconception. It's just, you know, insanity. Indeed, in only two of the reported cases of demon possession in the Gospels, is it the mind that is affected? So this is not about insanity here. Demon possession ascribes a condition in which a distinct and evil personality, foreign to the the person that is possessed, has taken control of that individual. And the demon is able to speak through the mouth of the possessed individual and to answer when addressed. Now, in all this, you might be thinking to yourself, well, this is not something we experience very much today, is it? In 2022. Why do we not experience this? Because if you know your Gospels, and last um, Lent, we did a little project in the midst of lockdown where we got different people to read through a chapter of Mark's Gospel. And one of the, the things I got as feedback from that was, goodness, I hadn't really realized in Mark's Gospel how many stories there were about demon possession. And about people being healed and demons being cast out. Because in every second chapter, it seems like that's what happens. It's worth reflecting on, isn't it? Why was this so prevalent in Jesus' day? doesn't seem to be so prevalent now. Is it because we don't recognize it? Or is there something deeper going on? I'm not totally certain of the answer. But let's remember here that demons are agents of Satan. And Jesus came on earth to crush the power of Satan. We know that, don't we? To bind the strong man, as Matthew says in chapter 12. And I guess with the the coming of Jesus, there is much more demonic activity than there was before. Because wherever God is at work, the devil is also there trying to disrupt and destroy. And so this might be why there seems to be more demonic activity in Jesus' day than there is now. But even now I would say to you that there are times in your life when you know God is at work in you. When you know God is at work in your heart. Or God is at work in in something within the church family. And then something comes in to disrupt it. Something unusual. Whatever God is at work, the devil will also be there trying to disrupt and to destroy. And that's what we see in the Gospels, isn't it? Because we see Jesus coming into the world fully God, but fully human. We see him being tempted. Because the devil is desperate for Jesus to fall. So there is demonic activity in Jesus' day. And we must also be aware that Satan is still at work today. We are in a spiritual battle. Sometimes I think we forget that in the church. 
We only see things at, at a surface level. Rather than seeing we're, we're in a spiritual battle. And we're not in the days of the, the transfiguration yet. We're not in the days of, of the kingdom being fully realized. We're still at the bottom part. Where things are difficult. There is brokenness. There is darkness. And the, bind, the, the strong man has not fully been bound up yet. So with that introduction, let's look at our passage today. Now, we've, we've already seen the contrast between what happened on the top of the mountain compared what's, to what's happening down below with the crowd. And what Jesus finds is a, a serious and a very difficult situation. Because as Jesus and Peter, James and John come down the mountain, and we don't know quite how far they had to travel, but they arrive with the other uh, nine uh, disciples. There is a crowd there, uh, and a man from the crowd approaches Jesus, kneels before him and says, Lord, have mercy on my son. And we're told that this man's son has seizures, often falls into a fire or into water, and so clearly is, is hurting himself. This is distressing. It's distressing for the boy. It's distressing for his family. But here's the difficult part. Because the man then says, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. They could not heal him. Now the fact that the man says this, and what subsequently happens with the disciples approaching Jesus later and and asking about this, why could we not heal the boy? Why was this not possible? Would suggest this is unusual. This is unusual that the disciples could not heal the boy. It seems like this hasn't happened to the disciples before. And remember, they've been sent out by Jesus on ministry trips to, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to teach about the kingdom. They'd always come back to Jesus rejoicing at what had happened. But the nine disciples that were here, they're unable. They cannot heal the boy. Now what would Jesus' reaction be? Would he be unable? Would he rebuke the disciples? Well again, of course, Jesus shows his lordship in this situation, doesn't he? He reveals his identity. He shows that he is powerful. That he's truly God's son. You see, it would be a bit disappointing, wouldn't it? In this situation, if Jesus was able to do nothing. But Jesus is able to do something. Because he truly is God's son. But before healing the boy, he says, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Now, These are strange words in a way. Because when the man comes to Jesus with his son, you might think that Jesus would immediately point his fingers at the nine disciples and say, come on, come on, lad. What have you been doing? What have I taught you? You know, how were you not able to do this? But he doesn't. He makes this very strange statement. You unbelieving and perverse generation. This is not just aimed at the disciples. This is aimed at the the whole crowd. It's aimed at the man. 
It seemed that the disciples, it's all of them together. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? You see, from the dazzling splendor of the transfiguration, here Jesus now sees this pitiable situation. You see, it seems to me that to a greater or lesser extent, what Jesus experiences here is lack of faith. And by and large, people's minds were were perverted, turned in the, the wrong direction from Jesus. They had wrong ideas about him. And Jesus has ministered for for nearly three years by this point. And it seems to me that that there's a slight longing from Jesus for for the end point. How long do I have to put up with this? When you don't believe, when you don't trust, when you don't truly understand who I am. You don't understand what I've come to do. That's what Jesus is saying. As always... Jesus also reveals his power and his love. And his love. That's the wonderful thing, isn't it? Jesus could have just stepped back and said, Oh, I give up. I give up. Does that ever happen in your family? Especially if you've got children or grandchildren. And they're doing something and you've told them a million times, Will you just put your washing in the washing basket? Will you just do that? And then after a while you think, ah, I might as well just be speaking to the wall. I might as well just give up. They don't listen to what I say. They haven't truly realized who I am. That's Jesus' frustration here. He's also loving. And what happens? He rebukes the demon and the boy, showing his power. And the boy is healed from that very moment. So Jesus is able to heal the boy and he does so by casting out a demon. But this has left the disciples with questions, hasn't it? And later on, they come to him in private and they're disturbed, aren't they? Why couldn't we? Why couldn't we drive it out, Jesus? And here Jesus speaks to them about having so little faith. You see, they should have persevered. But it seems like they didn't. Now what's important here is that Jesus says if only they had faith as small as a mustard seed then they could move mountains. If only faith as small as a mustard seed they could move mountains. Now clearly in using this analogy Jesus is being figurative. But what's really important to note here is that a mustard seed is tiny. It's minute. You can hardly see it if you had it on the palm of your your hand. So all we need to see is, it isn't necessarily the, the quantity of faith that brings results. It's the quality of faith. If only you have a little faith, the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. It's all about who your faith is in. Are you trusting Jesus? It's about true faith. 
You see, do you have the kind of faith that, that trusts God? And that doesn't just give up in despair when, when its efforts don't meet with immediate success? And when someone is in trustful contact with the Lord, then we can do all things through the one who strengthens us. That's amazing just to think about, isn't it? If you just trust in Jesus, you can move mountains. Do you really believe that this morning? And it's not just about our faith. It's who we've got faith in. It's faith in Jesus. Because He is the one who is powerful. He's the one who is awesome. And so it's not really about us at all. It's just about us saying, Lord, I believe that you can do this. You see, we see the nature of faith here. Not in the amount, but in whom it's trusting in. And the question for us as we come to this part of the passage is, do we truly have faith? Now, of course, we all feel inadequate, don't we? But do we have faith even as small as a mustard seed? This isn't about, you know, having a, you know, super Christians over here who have, you know, m- massive faith. You can do wonderful things. And, you know, little Christians over here who have just mustard seed faith. Do you have faith at all? That's the question. That's what Jesus is saying. Do you understand who I am? Do you trust in me? And if you do trust in me, then expect great things. You see, how often do we pray and we don't really expect God to answer? We don't really, do we? We just throw up a prayer and we think, oh God, you must be probably too busy. You know, you're too concerned with, with others, you're too concerned with what's happening in Ukraine and in Afghanistan. Of course, God is very interested and cares about what's happening in these places, but He cares also about you, just in the same way He cared for this man and his son. Jesus cared. When you have faith, you can move mountains. Maybe you just need to be encouraged by that today in your own life, in your prayer life, to trust in Jesus, to look to Him, to honor Him, and to give Him the glory. Sometimes in our life, we think, you know, God never speaks to me, never answers my prayers. But do you truly believe Do you really believe that Jesus changes things? Do you come before him and ask him? Because I believe when we ask in faith, then he will answer in accordance with his will. So let's look towards Jesus. Honor him. Give him the glory. Now the last thing that we see in this passage this morning is Again, the scene kind of moves on. And we see Jesus again predicting his death. This is the second time uh, that he's done this. Now, we looked at this uh, a few weeks ago, and we saw that the last time uh, this happened, the disciples completely didn't understand it. 
Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. And Jesus in turn rebuked Peter. This time, there's no rebuke from the disciples, but there is grief. There's grief. They've moved on, haven't they? Maybe their understanding has moved on a bit. Maybe they're beginning to grasp what's going to happen to Jesus. Whereas before, they just denied it. That cannot possibly happen for you. Or maybe they're taken up with the fact he's going to be delivered into the hands of men who will kill him. Someone is going to betray Jesus. And the disciples are grieved by this. Now the disciples don't understand. But the time is coming when Jesus will suffer and he will die. Now, how does this little part about Jesus predicting his death link to what goes on before and what goes on before that? How does it link to the demon-possessed boy and then to the transfiguration? Well, what do we see in the transfiguration? A glimpse of the glory. What do we see down below? We see the present reality, the brokenness, the darkness in the world. And then what do we see? We see what Jesus has come to do. What's that? He's come to suffer and to die. Why? To bring in the kingdom. To bring in the transfiguration into that bottom situation. The demon-possessed boy. And so you see how things are, are being tied together. How Jesus comes in his kingdom to bring the glory. Now today we still of course live in days before the kingdom is fully known and fully realized. There's still brokenness in our world. There is still darkness in our world. But we can trust as Christians post the cross, post the resurrection, that we have hope. We have hope. We have hope in this broken world. Hope in this dark world. Hope that God is in control. Even in the darkness. Even in the situations that we don't understand. Even in the face of illness. Even in the face of things happening in our lives that we don't even understand. That we know that Satan is involved somewhere. We know that Jesus is the one that is powerful. And therefore, we do not need to fear. That's what the cross is about. Because the cross is where Satan's power is broken. What was it Billy Graham once said about the Bible? He says, I don't understand it all, but I know how it ends. And we know that from the book of Revelation, don't we? That there will be a time when we will be with God forever. There will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more tears, no more pain. Where the kingdom will be finally realized and there will be joy. We're not there yet, but we look forward to that day, don't we? And so what I want you to see this morning is the contrast between the glory and the reality and that's what we live with in this present day, isn't there? There's a longing in our hearts for the glory. We long to be with Christ because that would be far better. 
But we know that during our time here on earth, we are to live for Christ. A contrast between the glory and the reality. Second thing I want us to see this morning is the power and the love of Jesus and his power over evil. As you sit here this morning, maybe you think, you know, I don't have much experience of, you know, demons and demon possession and all these things. I want to say to you this morning that these things are perhaps more common than you realize. Even in West Kilbride, there is a spiritual battle that we are involved in. Maybe you have experienced something of this in your life in an unexpected way. I want to assure you this morning that Jesus is powerful. The evil can never hurt you when Jesus is in the midst. He is far greater, far more powerful than any demon. He has crushed Satan's head. Do we believe that this morning? And I also want you to see this morning that Jesus loved this boy. He loved his family. And he also loves you in the situation that you find yourself. And the last thing this morning, I want you just to think about faith and the nature of faith. Often we can be lacking in faith. That we don't even have faith the size of a mustard seed. We, we just think to ourselves, you know, I can't imagine God doing that. I don't really believe that God could do that. I don't believe that God could, could reach into someone's life. I don't really believe that, that God could bring my son or my daughter to faith in Jesus. I don't truly believe that, that God could, could bring someone from, from a place of addiction into a place of, of hope. I don't believe that God could truly heal someone, truly turn someone's life around. But what I want to say to you this morning is that even faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. That's worth reflecting on, isn't it? What are the mountains in your life today? What are the the difficulties? Have you really brought them before God? Sometimes that's, the, that's our mode of last resort, isn't it? We think, oh, you know, I'll try and sort it. I'll try and get advice. I'll try and get family. You know, we don't think about coming to God as if God would be interested. But He is. He loves you. He cares for you. Faith like a mustard seed that will move mountains. What are the mountains in your life today? Do you not believe that Jesus can move them? Of course he can. For nothing is impossible for God. So this morning, let's see the glory. Let's see the reality. But let's have faith in Jesus. The one who's loving, the one who's powerful, and the one who will take us home to be with him forever. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage today. And it's such a rich passage, but also difficult to understand. We don't understand why our world is so broken in many ways. And that's what we see in this passage. We see this boy 
suffering these fits that are taking him into fire and into water. And we know that this is caused by a demon that Jesus casts out. Lord God, there is much brokenness and darkness in our world. But we thank you that Jesus is powerful. We thank you that he is loving. And we thank you that you care, Lord God, for our world. That you care for us as individuals. That you care for all the difficulties in our lives. And we thank you that we can trust that when Jesus died on the cross, that Satan's head was crushed. That death was defeated by Emmanuel. Lord God, help us to trust in Jesus this day. And Lord God, as we come before you this morning, perhaps we have our own struggles. Perhaps it is a spiritual battle in our life. Perhaps it's battles in other ways, mountains that seem to just be insurmountable. But Lord God, we thank you for what Jesus says. That if we have faith, even the smallest faith, the size of a mustard seed, that we can move mountains. Not because we're amazing, but because you are. Because you are wonderful. You are glorious. You are awesome. So Heavenly Father, we pray today that we might be stirred in our hearts and that you would speak to us. Through your word we pray. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.